as the gold rush. Now we always look at history. Some people found gold, but very few. The ones who always made money are the, the ones who sold the shuffles. Welcome to Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It, our podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and together with my co-host Brian Hayes, we've both worked for over 30 years in banking and banking IT before joining VMware. In today's episode, we're delighted to be talking with Spiros Margaris. Spiros is a venture capitalist at Margaris Ventures, a futurist, keynote speaker and board member. He's a senior advisor to and investor in several startups, including two that have become unicorns. He's been the number one fintech advisor for many years and thrives in the heart of the fintech community. Spiros is going to chat with us about why embedded finance excites him, the future of banking, why both crypto and cash are here to stay, and how the metaverse will disrupt the financial world as we know it. Welcome, Spiros. Great to have you with us today. Great to be part of the show, Matthew and Brian. You know, we know each other for a while, but it's nice to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So for our listeners then, can you give us a quick intro about you and what you do? Of course. It's always a good question. Makes me think. So, <laughs> No, but uh, let's get serious. I'm a venture capitalist. I'm involved in several startups where I'm an investor, advisor. Two of the startups became unicorns. I'm the number one fintech influencer for years, and I'm very fortunate to be part of a great community. Basically, I'm in the fintech space, for people who don't know me, financial technology. That's why probably I'm on the show now. <laughs> well, we were thinking, let's just get some friends on, right? It's Christmas. Yeah. And we'll see how friendly it is with those questions. Well, we'll wait and see how the questions <laughs> go, right? So from a career perspective then, how did you end up doing this? You know, How did you get started and, and how did you end up here? I've been in the hedge fund business all my life. I lived in America for a long time. And I had my own startups in New York during dot-com crash. I know the dark side of failure, you know, big billboards, but then at the end. But I've seen both sides as an investor and also as an entrepreneur. And when I came back to Switzerland, where I was born raised, I went back to asset management. And when the company was sold... I decided to do something different. And the whole fintech space uh, became hot. At the beginning, it wasn't hot. There was just there's some companies. But uh, then I grew with it. And I was fortunate enough to be part of this journey, which we're still in the early innings for the Americans. You know, I don't think we have seen much yet, as much as people feel like uh, they understand fintech. But it's still, I think we picked up the low-hanging fruits in the business. Thinking about your career then, so were you planning on this as, you know, was this kind of like your career path? When you were at school, what did you want to be? <laughs> Either a photographer or people have seen Blow Up, an Antonioni movie from the 60s, or a top investment manager. Not in a company, but in asset management. Those were my dreams. And I decided early when I studied to, to go in a different path in investment management. And uh, as I said, I've seen my ups and Downs. I didn't believe, honestly, I can say that now. I hope it doesn't sound cocky that I would reach uh, the point where I am now. So it's like with, uh, you know, we all have, have our ups and downs, and uh, I had my share of uh, these failures. And, you know, that's the points in your life you think, okay, that's how it is. You know, it won't happen. And, but then miraculously, 
It's like Verstappen with the Formula One race. (laughs) (laughs) Very very timely. (laughs) Very timely. With what you've just said, I think if you if you want to uh, an advisor or venture capitalist who hadn't seen failure, they've either been very very lucky, or are somehow gifted in a way that is pretty unreal. So I think I think you kind of have to know what the danger signs are, and I think it makes you a better advisor if you've seen those things and learned from them. I I think I think you're more credible. You know, you're more credible. You know, we've seen each other often at the Johnny Sprague event. And when I interview those people, you know, you have some of those uh, great entrepreneurs in your organization. I mean, at least I'm not, you understand a little bit or you can ask those questions that, that they can relate to because it's, uh, it's you know, we only see the bright side where everyone wants to be your friend, etc. but uh, a <laughs> different part of this journey. So look, looking back then, what would you say has been your career-defining moment? I think being recognized many years ago as the number one fintech influencer globally and holding on to this, it's like surreal, but it's a, it's part of the community. We aren't as good as the community. I support the community, they support me. Uh, I think that's a great thing. I mean, I'm very proud of that. It's humbling, It's but it's about community. But this is really cool because it enables you to do great stuff. I mean, I can pick up the phone and can reach almost anyone in our space, or at least maybe a level below. And that's amazing. And you speak to great people, you know, they tell you their insights. It's fantastic. It's like we're very privileged. Not believing, getting to this point, that makes it more special. Perfect. Perfect. Let's move on then. Ben and I did a real deep dive. All right, uh, let's get into it. We'll find out everything there is to know. So, Spiros, you know, I, I just don't know where to start with the, with the millions of questions that we could ask you. So, so let, let's kind of go with hopefully a, a good start, and we'll we'll go on from there. So, so as you'd say, you know, you've been recognised as the number one influencer in fintech for many years now, and you know, and obviously including global finance and AI and blockchain and all of those things that kind of come together into. Um, into how we kind of think about fintech. So that's a lot of topics. So what are you talking about most right now? You know, what are people asking you most? I think uh, when they ask me about uh, what excites me now in the fintech space, it's of course embedded finance. And what embedded finance means is it's like non-financial companies that have a huge customer base and their core business is not finance, but they, they add to their business case financial powers like fintech solutions to to round up the offering. And this is huge because that enables your company, a lot of companies to provide not only as customers for banks, customers won't be just banks, but there are fintechs, there are non-financial companies that just want to play in that uh, fintech game. I think that's huge. And uh, I think we're just the beginning. It's just this big cake we have where at early age the banks played only and insurance companies and now this cake is shared by fintech companies but tech giants and non-financial companies to give some more put more flash on it it's like you know tesla provides insurance products to its customers because it knows its customers you know it has this customer base it knows probably its customers better than insurances because it has all this data. And through AI, which we're going to talk as well afterwards, 
or Walmart, the big retailer that provides for a segment of its people financial services, credit cards, etc., in order to to allow them to shop more or to allow them to shop at all. But basically, it's any company that has huge customer base, Volkswagen, retailer, you name it, they will enrich their offering through fintech solutions. And that's embedded finance. I think, med, I mean, there are other trends. Technology is such a big field. But uh, in my field, I think embedded finance is one of the uh, forces that's coming stronger and stronger and will disrupt the whole industry. It just think about it. You know, basically, a non-financial company can sell financial products at non-profit because their core business is a different business. It's just, oh, it's like, like giving away T-shirts. You know, and, and they come and then you sell something else. I don't go to the bank for milk. <laughs> One day, we said it here first, I think the game will shift that everyone will try to do everything. But it's easy for a non-financial company to provide some financial solutions on top of your core business than for bank to provide something else. I found that actually very interesting. And I didn't actually think that's where the conversation was going to go. Because I thought when you were talking about fintech, we were going to be talking about the impact on the banks and what banks are doing and whether you think that's about an efficiency gain or truly transforming how customers interact with banks. But but I think coming at it from the angle of, of a service provider who can then also, that's got to be more disruptive, right? On top of it, it's at the end of the day, if everyone takes a piece of this cake, tech giants, uh, non-financial companies, fintech companies. What's left is maybe less attractive for a bank. Profit margins will go down for sure. I mean, consolidations will continue. We will still have huge banks in 10 years. I mean, JP Morgan's of this world will still be there. Bank of America, et cetera, Barclay. But they will have to think about how to support their business model where AI machine learning comes into play. You know, at the end of the day, they have to reduce, you know, costs. And the easiest way to reduce costs is reducing people. That's a sad thing, but that's a reality. I've got two questions, and I'll start with this one. The point you've just raised around efficiencies and people, I think there's a perception in, out there in the world that AI is just sets of robots answering calls and being chatbots and doing very manual-based services to create that efficiency. How do you describe that, that type of topic where AI is perceived in that way? And, you know, and where do you see this moving to in the future? What you described before is just one business case and not even a bad one. I mean, chatbots, uh, they're getting better and better. If you look at Samsung, which they showed their neon, neon solution where people look so real, they looked like humans, and that was one year ago. I think next year they're going to look extremely like human, and people have to say, hey, I'm, I'm a chatbot. I'm, not, uh, I'm an avatar. And, th- I mean, this is possible through AI, machine learning, deep learning. This is just one thing, but, you know, with all the data we have, how can we handle uh, credit risks? How can we evaluate uh, all this data if we didn't have machine learning algorithms in place? I mean, as we get more connected and we're getting more and more connected every day, I mean, those uh, cars, autonomous cars, which that's a whole topic in itself. I'm not a big believer it's going to happen level five where people don't interact at all 
no steering wheel for the next 10 years. But nevertheless, we are connected every day. We have our phone. Our digital footprint is out there. So this data is very valuable. And through machine learning, it helps those companies provide us more personalized solutions. So it's not only the chatbot. It's more personalized solution where basically say, oh, Spiros, you arrived in New York. Maybe you would like to have a different insurance for this or whatever. Or maybe I'm parachuting one day and people say, <laughs> after not the first time, but the second time, say, you realize that you're falling. <laughs> maybe you need a different insurance. <laughs> you seem but, to be traveling very fast. <laughs> yeah, first time they wanted to shoot you, but the second time, poor robot devices. I mean, I think I, I'm a believer that uh, that it will cost jobs, but not only. Maybe, hopefully, it will augment our lives. Like the Excel sheet, you know, when the Excel sheet came as a spreadsheet, people were thinking, "Oh my God, we don't need any accountants anymore." But that was not the case. It was just helping us to do different things. So. Some jobs will be lost through AI machine learning, but a lot of things will help us to do, in addition, different jobs and and uh, and not do the boring stuff or the things we could not do. I mean, as I said, I mean, robot advisors, I mean, in itself, the word, I mean, it goes only with algorithms and to evaluate credit risks. I mean, how can any human evaluate credit risk by himself with all the data? I mean, maybe we can be on top of it, which is, I think is a bad thing. But um, I think AI machine learning, we just have to get used to it. It's here to stay. It will be more prominent. We won't feel it. Doesn't mean it's not there. And we just have to be careful to protect our customers in general against buyers. Ethical issues will be a big topic when we talk about AI. But I think those things are addressed. It doesn't mean they are addressed perfectly, but they're addressed by regulators. And I think the great companies out there, they put in their business case all these things in it, you know, to try not to be biased or to, to be ethical, to obey to the highest ethical standards you can, because customers love that. That's my kind of view. But AI machine learning, the robotics is, you know, when you look at Boston Dynamics and you see this robot robotic dancing, it's impressive, but it's just one aspect. I want to take you back to the, because I don't want to lose the thread on the embedded finance, because I, I, I have a particular view on this in, in, in embedded finance. It's, it's much like your own. I think that the, the role of finance in and, and how things are financed, is, it's already changing. We're, we're going to see that rapidly change. I guess the question for you, and you mentioned the big banks, but I foresee a time when we actually lose some of the more high street brands that we've got in financial services, their brand becomes no more than a sub-brand within another product, you know, within another organization where they're only doing that utility-based back-end type capability. And that might be the right business model for them going forwards. So I just wondered if you if you foresee something like that happening. Absolutely, Brian. I mean, a lot of those companies will become dumb pipes. That means for people to know it's from the telecom industry, Basically, they will provide services, but they won't be recognized other than by experts that they provided the services just behind the scene. And the weakest banks, the weakest, but the smartest banks will benefit the most because they will jump on this opportunity to become a dumb pipe earlier. And once those dumb pipe establish themselves as, as the people who know how to become great dumb pipes, 
it's very hard for players afterwards to come into this game. It's a great opportunity for companies now who think they can't compete with the big players to maybe play big behind the scene, not to be too proud of it. Because at the end of the day, all this uh, challenger banks is going to be like fashion brands. You know, this fintech challenger banks. It's like, you know, today is Prada, tomorrow is uh, Nike, the next is something else. As easily as we can switch from one account to another, unless we can hold them on, it's going to be like fashion brands. Something people weren't thinking in the old days to switch from one bank to another. But nowadays, and in the future, it's going to be very easy. It is easy already, but at the end of the day, people will just switch or have maybe two, three bank accounts just to hedge themselves. So do you see big tech firms acquiring high street banks so that you get, you know, pick your favorite brand by Facebook or pick your favorite brand by Apple? Or or do you see them doing the embedded route? I don't think so. I never thought of that, that this would happen because nobody wants to take a bank. They just want to take <laughs> the pieces. You know, the yeah. attractive pieces, because to be fair, to be a bank, it's a tough job regulatory wise it's you know it's easy to attack them uh, to talk about badly about them but i mean that a lot of them do a great job for the size they're on i mean they're like a dinosaur like a beautiful rolls royce from the 80s or 70s <laughs> you know and, <laughs> and the smart ones they they build maybe a new rolls royce which is a little more modern but i mean the big banks still have a lot of trust and they've learned quickly i mean let's face it they invest a lot of money in technology, but to have, they have to answer to many masters, regulatory-wise. I mean, not that fintechs are not regulated, but the banks, uh, big banks with their legacy system, etc., it's harder for them to, to move as nimble as the small players. But if the small players become big one day, eventually there will be legacy as well. It just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like history. It's... You know, at, at the moment, but I think big banks are learning. The smart ones are learning fast. As you can see, I mean, they, they have great credit cards. They could do a lot of things small uh, fintechs could do. They don't do it because they don't want to shrink their profit margins. But my theory is if they would cannibalize their business aggressively, there would be no space for fintech. That's an interesting way of thinking about that, yeah. So changing the topic slightly then, where do you see crypto going and what are your thoughts on cash in the future? Well, I love the second thing, but I also love the first one. I believe crypto is here to stay anyway. And regulation that comes in, it's good for the business because it becomes more an established industry. I think institutional investors are coming in, retail investors are coming in. I don't know which crypto will prevail. I mean, but I don't want to mention here any, but I have in my mind which ones likely will prevail, but crypto is here to stay. It's going to be volatile, very volatile, but um, with time, volatility will go out a little bit. And so I would not put money in crypto that you you can't afford to lose, but I would recommend everyone to put some money into crypto, but not, not in a greedy way, more in a way of thinking, this is the future, like Bitcoin, Ether or whatever, some of those big players, and just leave it there and look at it again in two, three years. So I recommend everyone to buy crypto, but not in a greedy way because it's going to be so volatile. So and you have to be able to stomach it. You know, it's a rough sea out there. You have to be really able to stomach it. Something about cash. I'm not a fan of cashless society. 
although I I pay most of the things with my credit card, etc., or, or wire the money. But uh, imagine, you know, nobody thought of COVID before. Imagine we don't have electricity. Well, why are you going to pay for things? And it can happen. Like in China, we had a catastrophe, a big catastrophe. The whole region didn't have electricity. People don't like to talk about it or think about it, but it can happen. Anything could happen. Besides, there's also a privacy issue. You know, basically, if everything is digital, there's no privacy. I think cash has its place. I mean, I don't think it will dominate as much as uh, or digital currencies or, or paying in a digital way, but cash has its place. It's like an insurance. And I tell you, in China, where this uh, catastrophe was, people keep cash now because they realized nobody was able to pay with the credit card. And think about the other thing, you know, like, uh, do we have enough electricity if all electric cars come on the road? What happens if we don't have electricity for the town for half a day or whatever? But you need, during that time, you need to buy something. So I'm not a believer in uh, in extreme solutions. So therefore, I, I believe that cash should be always part of the equation. I'm not a cashless society guy. <laughs> well, that, and that's interesting, given... The, the topics you do cover, that is very you know, interesting. You know, <laughs> I wanted to say something now, but uh, I realized <laughs> it's, this should be private. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of MySpace, obviously, but that doesn't mean we can't be critical. I'm a huge fan of AI, but doesn't mean I don't have to discuss or talk about uh, trying to uh, secure jobs reskilling people because at the end of the day, you know, what's the point of all this technology if humans live worse? That's the way I think. I mean, I'm in the stage of my life that I think more about those things, you know, and I also express them as I did now. I think the cash one is a really interesting topic, right? Because I think cashless society and the social impact of a cashless society, and it's very different socially depending where you sit in the world. And I'll give, I'll give a great example. Well, I don't know if it's a great example. I'll give an example. I came into town yesterday into the railway station and the Salvation Army were blasting out the, the Christmas carols. You know, a typical UK scene at this time of year, Salvation Army. And I said to my other half, I said, oh, I've got no cash. I've, I've got no cash. I can't, I can't do it. And then as I saw, I sort of fumbling through my pockets as if I had any cash at all, and I didn't, none, not a nickel. Um, I saw that the guy from the Salvation Army had uh, basically the ability for me to do cashless. Who are called? A card reader. Yeah, yeah. He had a card reader. He had a card reader. So there were various people around the station with the usual charity buckets, okay? But he had a card reader. And I'm like, okay, that, that sort of sums it up, really. I'm, you know, okay. So I went over and made my donation for their Christmas fund like I normally do at this time of year or various other different things. But it was, it was the me going, oh, I'm panicking because I can't do it. And I felt a little bit guilty because I always like to do it a little bit. And then, oh, I can do it. <laughs> but in, in, in our society, that, that's the way to do it. I mean, Matthew and I have both worked in South America where cash is still king. So if you go to places like Mexico, they drain the ATMs at the end of the week and take every ounce of cash out of them. And it's all cash. So it, 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 you know, they may put it under their beds, but that's the, that's the truth of the matter. But I think cash still has a role to play, exactly as you said, in our society. If you see someone who's unfortunate on the street and they're, they're sitting there and they're in hard times, I can't go off and card swipe. I even want to go and buy them a cup of coffee or a sandwich or I want to put a, a couple of pounds in a, in a pot. 
but you just forget. I don't remember the last time I went to an ATM and drew cash out. Yeah, it's normally my daughter giving me cash because she owes me money, <laughs> and then she, which I've electronically transferred to her, and she'll come around and go, "Dad, here's that, you know, there's that money," and I'm like. Oh, Paige, what am I going to do with that? That's so many cups of coffee. That's literally how I, how, I, how I think. But you've made a very interesting point about cash because I think I think it is it has a declining value, not a, a real value, in the role that it plays. But I think it will be here for a long, long time. And you know, I think there are a lot of unbanked, underbanked people. You know, there are really people who have no bank accounts, no credit cards, no nothing. And um, you know, they're more than you think. And we have to be able for them to live a normal life like we do, like FinTech enables them uh, through giving them uh, credit cards uh, and enabling them to have uh, some financial services at hand. But cash, again, Brian, beautiful. I mean, the Salvation Army, they were organized. Some homeless people are organized, but not everyone is organized to, to, to take advantage of digital payments. Yeah, yeah. Changing the topic then for a moment, or maybe we're not, but let's have a try. Obviously, you said you're involved in a in a bunch of ventures, and and that actually, you know, and that's and that's going well. So, you know, given we already said, you know, Brian and I are good friends and stuff. Where do we, where should we be placing our bet? Other than dabbling in a bit of crypto, where should we be placing our bets? You know, friendly advice that we share with everyone else. <laughs> oh, that's very difficult. I don't want to. Name- no, no, crypto would be definitely one. As I said before, crypto definitely, but not too much. You know, you can live with it. And then I would I would invest in a fintech ETF, you know, that basically invests in listed fintech companies. I think that's the best way to take advantage of it because I think uh, we still have lots of room up with all the volatility to go. And, but for most people, it's very hard to invest in a startup because... Uh, Either it's in the very beginning, so the risks are huge, or the company already worth 50 or 100 million. So therefore, it's much harder to get in. You know, basically, the ticket sizes become too big. So the only way I could think of is to invest or to invest directly in fintech companies that are listed, like Wise. I mean, I'm not saying Wise is a good or bad company, but there are good companies out there that are listed that people can participate that was a little more serious an answer, but then, uh, then maybe we'll uh, chat chat offline. <laughs> no, I, hope, I know. I mean, I try to I try to protect people as well. I mean, basically, I mean, I, I would like to give answers I can stand behind it. We wouldn't want to get a bad name for insider uh, conversations, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so we we've covered tons there. Uh, let's move into our crystal ball section. I see the future. Really? Well, what do you have, a crystal ball? What's going to happen? Listen, if you know something, you got to tell me. So if you had to pick one technology or one thing that you think could be a significant game changer for technology and financial services for kind of 2022 and beyond, you know, to help or hinder, what one thing might you want to pick? I think it's metaverse. I mean, everyone talks about it. If you look at some of my speeches over the years, I always told bankers, you know, one day people will hold their uh, glasses and they will see information, augmented reality, and know a lot about bank, about the bank accounts, a lot about information through their glasses. Now we have metaverse where we create with augmented reality a whole new world. They call it the new internet, as they call it. And I think 
that huge opportunity out there. But it's also a little scary opportunity because, you know, just to think about it, that we live in a world as we live now. And then all of a sudden we create a digital world, which for gamers was kind of normal. For the regular person, it's kind of difficult to imagine to live in a second world. As Bill Gates said, in three years, most people will interact in a metaverse, do their business. People already buy land. You know, uh, blockchain plays a huge role there. Ether, Ether, Ethereum plays a big role. The opportunities are now huge, but it's like the Wild West again. It's always like the Wild West. And I wonder who's going to be the winner. As the gold rush, you know, we always look at history. The people who really made the money were the, I mean, some people found gold, but very few. But the ones who always made money are the, the ones who sold the shuffles. And I'm looking here at the metaverse. Who's going to sell the shuffles? (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah, yeah. That's a great way. That's a great way of thinking about it. I love that. At the beginning now, everyone is a little bit of winner and then the dust settles and it's going to be more difficult to make money. But the ones who sell shuffles, you know, that will be probably the winners. But metaverse, it's so new. It's so, I mean, it's not a new expression, but it's so... It's also scary, but every opportunity is scary. It's like you're driving a fast, a car too fast, or you do something. It's always a little scary, but if you're courageous enough, there are great opportunities here. Because uh, if we build a new world, which I tried to do, a new internet, that means there's a lot of things to be built and to be sold, and everything will flow into that. Fabulous! Right, let's have a bit of fun. Uh, we usually call it the lightning round. Okay, welcome to the super awesome bonus lightning round. The lightning round begins now. So Spiros, this is what we were building up to. We've got a really a fast round of, of questions. You're quite welcome to say, uh, no, I'm not prepared to answer that. Uh, we'll, we'll take note of those. <laughs> uh, but if there's anything um, that you don't want to answer, that's absolutely fine. But the idea really is just to kind of get to know you and have a little bit more fun. So we'll start with a nice, easy, easy question. What was your favorite book or movie? I'm a movie buff. One movie I always mention is A Wonderful Life, which is what, uh, it's a Christmas movie, but uh, it's an unbelievable, beautiful movie. I can't argue with that. That's one of my favorite all-time movies. In fact, I, I tell people about it all the time. Okay, my question, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time or would you go into the future? I'm very focused to the future. And I'm very forward-looking. I'm, I'm not uh, nostalgic. But it was a good question because I will give you an answer that's very atypical for me. I would go to the past because I would like to understand some things better. Because if you go to the past, you understand why things happen. Or maybe you understand better. But I'm very f- forward-looking. I'm, you know, I come from a working-class family. For me, it was only looking forward. I don't look much back. Only in relationship and friendships. I'm very much forward-looking. But... I would not go to the future, I think, because uh, it sounds so manipulative. If I would go to the future, I would know what's happening. <laughs> will happen. It would take out the whole the fun. <laughs> so uh, what was the first concert or live performance that you saw? Oh, I saw U2. My first wife took me to a U2 concert in New Jersey in America. And I was not a U2 fan, but it was good. Uh, I mean, the great band. But yeah, it was my first concert. I'm more a photographer, I'm more an art lover. I haven't gone to many concerts in my life. What's your favorite gadget or piece of technology? <laughs> my MacBook Air. 
know, because uh, uh, my, my, my computer or my iPhone, but I use my computer more than I use my iPhone. Okay, okay. Who's been your mentor or have you been most inspired by? This is uh, Bill Campbell uh, is dead, but I love what he did and uh, I aspire to what he did. You know, he was a coach to many companies, to Apple, to Bezos, to Schmidt, to uh, Google. I'm I'm a coach in many companies, uh, like an advice, but Bill Campbell inspires me to the guy knew how to inspire people to do be better at their work. That's one of the guys I I read about a lot and or think about a lot because that's what I do in my job. Basically, I uh, on advisory board I talk to the CEOs and we talk about strategy or problems and I give my honest opinion about the industry or about the human elements of the business. And I probably will never be as good as this guy was, Bill Campbell. But nevertheless, that's what I aspire to. Fabulous answer. Thank you. Uh, we took back cash. When was the last time you used cash and what for? Uh, I think uh, I tried to use cash when I buy coffee because then I can tip them too because uh, they prefer cash as a tip. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question because I use cash primarily to tip. If I can, I tip in cash. There you go. There you go. I think we said on a previous one of these also, so I've got young children, so um, the tooth fairy only deals in cash. <laughs> so, just just bear that one in mind. So uh, what was your first car and what do you drive now? I'm kind of guessing you drive a Tesla, but if you, what, no, you know, no, what, no, what was no your way. first car and what do you drive now? I think a very old Porsche, very rusty and uh, uh, no profile uh, on, on the wheel. I mean, it was very dangerous if I think about it. I'm, I'm driving an Audi in a Porsche now. Oh, there you go. There you go. But uh, I'm not a Tesla guy. But uh, I think, uh, obviously, they've done a great job for the whole industry. And, but I'm not an electric car driver yet. Yet. I'm a motorhead, a gas head, gasoline head, what you call it. <laughs> because I don't believe we have enough electricity to serve everyone with electric cars. And again, we come to this thing we said before with extreme cash or digital money. Everything extreme is bad. You know, and if we only had electric cars, we could not serve them. And the poor countries, they don't dream of electric cars or they don't have the infrastructure, but that's all a different story. But I'm a big believer in Porsche because that car drives even standing because of its design. I love the form. I love the reliability. You know, I love it. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that now. But anyway. No, but, but next time you go in to negotiate, you, they're either going to remember you or think, well, we don't need to work too hard here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when, I negotiate, I always, when I negotiate, I always can walk away, which is the best way to do it. You know? oh, that's the best way. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it still hurts okay. you if you don't get the deal in a vain way. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like you can't win them all. I mean, it's just impossible. It's it's good that way. So, Spiros, my favourite question that I ask every guest on the show, you have to sing karaoke. What song do you pick? My way, Sinatra. <laughs> You're the first person to do that, I think. You are the first person. No, probably not. Probably not, but it's uh, probably not, but it is. It is. Of all the guests we've had, no one's ever said Frank, I can assure you. <laughs> no, seriously? Yeah. No, no, no that's, the, that's first the first one. That's the first one. No, my way. We've had some odd ones, I, I will be honest. Uh, but no, uh, my way is you know a favourite karaoke song for many people, but that's the first time anyone's offered My Way by Frank Sinatra. 
Yeah, that's uh, well, and it's a it's a very good choice. Very good choice. It's a belter. I think that's the technical term. <laughs> you know, it's like whatever we said in the beginning, the ups and downs, we all can relate. It's not about success, by the way. It's more about at least we're still standing. Yeah, yeah. So what piece of career advice do you wish you'd given your younger self? Oh, yeah, to be more focused, more focused. I think the success comes from being focused. You know, and uh, if you stay on long enough on a focused way, eventually things will fall into place. I think focus is a key and hard work. And, and you know, and the, the rest is, um, you know, sometimes you have great mentorship. Uh, you have to listen to, I listen a lot to older people. I listen a lot because, you know, you hear from everyone good advice if you listen. And we're not talking about in our industry, you know. A carpenter come in, I love to talk to them because you can learn from everyone. So focus, hard work, and be open to other ideas. And be uh, very passionate about it. I, I, you know, I see a lot of startups, some of them are extremely passionate. And some are just, maybe I would have been as well, it's just numbers of exits. And it's a business. And I don't know, but I, I love to see people who are passionate about things. If they can afford it, obviously, you know, life is not that easy. We're very simplified now, everything in this to be focused, hard work. But sometimes it's not that easy because life throws you curveballs. Yeah, over the past two years, everyone's been working from home, working from wherever they've been able to. How do you keep yourself productive and motivated whilst working virtually? I always work from home. I mean, my career, my late career, the last 10 years, I always work from home and because uh, since I'm involved so so many startups, uh, I can go to, a, to their offices if I have to, I mean, even around here. So I'm very disciplined about this. Uh, it's hard to work from home, but you can get used to it. You know, it's, uh, there's no perfect world, but it's not easy, I think. I, I, I miss, I go sometimes to coffee shops, like we had a call last week, I was in a coffee shop. In order to have people around me, I mean, it's not do business, it's just the noise, have a coffee, be a nice environment where you feel comfortable. But it's probably not that easy. I think, uh, I think it's extremely valuable when you see each other, you know. Brian, Matthew, when we see each other at certain conferences, it has a different value, you know. Okay, last serious question for me then. If you were an ice cream, what flavour would you be? Strawberry. Well, that's a quick answer. No, I love strawberry. He knew. He knows that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he knows exactly what type of ice cream he'll be. There, there was no hesitation, no deliberation. Strawberry ice cream. <laughs> you know, I even put strawberry and coffee ice cream in things that don't match, but uh, I like them. <laughs> they, <laughs> now, there you go. Now, there you go. I'm good for my questions. I've really enjoyed today's spirit. I've got to say, I've, I've you know, been a You've been fantastic. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you. We've learned We've learned a lot. Yeah, I think we've got a lot to think about too. So thank you so much. Matthew, Brian, thank you for making it so comfortable for me and great questions and uh, great responses. It's a privilege, again, to, to be on your show and you make me feel good about it and uh, before and now. So thank you very much. To keep up with Spiros, if you're not already following him on Twitter, you can find him at Spiros Margaris, S-P-I-R-O-S-M-A-R-G-A-R-I-S. You can find him on LinkedIn and find out lots more about him and his work 
and the firms he's advising at at margrisventures.com. As always, we will have links in our show notes. If we can help you in any way, please do talk with your VMware account team or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. Just search for Brian Hayes or Matthew O'Neill at VMware. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matthew O'N or our podcast on Twitter at dbtbpod. And you can find our show notes at don'tbrankthebankpodcast.com. Given when we recorded this episode, we wanted to take the opportunity to wish you and your families a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays and all the best for the new year. We hope you can join us again next time. Please do take care. <laughs>